Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on the 12th of August and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and this week the team comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin and the readers today are Phil Lee hello, and Jane Fares. Hello. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we'll include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on in the local theatres, etc., followed by the headline stories, a selection of general news stories, a little bit of sport, and then we finish up with the thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and of course, the birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add it to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music. We do like to hear from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone on 01905 767 766 or alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. So, let's start this week, as we always do, with the telephone numbers which Jane is going to read. Wilds Lane, 01905 Listeners should be aware that this is not man daily and need to be patient if a reply is required. Police, non-emergency, 101. NHS Direct, 111. Out-of-hours medical assistance, 0300 1233211, between 6 and 8pm. Crime Stoppers, 0800 Five 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 one one one, Worcester Hub, O one nine o five, seven six five seven six five, Worcestershire County Council here to help, O one nine o five, seven six eight o five three option three, Community Risk Team Fire Safety, O eight hundred O three two. 1155 Domestic Abuse Helpline 0800 980 Sense Adventures Walking for Visually Impaired D. Jones 01684 891 297 or 07920 144 614 Samaritans, 116123. Worcester Live, 01905 611 427. Morven Theatres, 01684-892277. Thank you, Jane. And I've now got a list of some of the things that are coming up in the next few days and weeks at, well, around Worcestershire. 
So from August the 17th to the 22nd at the Malvern Theatre, you can see a production of Charlie and Stan, the remarkable story of one of the greatest double acts of all time. And no, it's not Laurel and Hardy, it's Charlie Chaplin and Stan Laurel. It's a 7.30pm start time, although there are two matinee performances on Wednesday and Saturday, which will be at 2.30pm. For further information, contact the Malvern Box Office, which is, as Jane's just said, 01684 892 Ladies' Day at Worcester Races is coming up. That's going to take place on Wednesday, August the 18th. Tickets are already on sale. Visit worcester-race-course, that's all lower letters, lowercase letters, .co.uk for more information and ticket sales. Saturday the 14th of August sees the start of the Worcester Festival. The official opening is at 11 o'clock outside the Guildhall. You can pick up an event guide from the Tourist Information Centre or visit Worcester Festival website, which is www.worcesterfestival, all lowercase, all one word, .co.uk. And there are loads and loads of things going on throughout the week. Might be more than a week, actually. Uh, as the festival takes place across Worcester. So at the Swan, on Saturday the 21st of August at 7.30pm, there is a production of Waterloo, the best of ABBA, a look at the sensational rise to stardom of the Swedish pop group. It features a live band and performers of, um, dancing performers as well and is a must for all ABBA enthusiasts, I've been told. Tickets for that, you need to contact Worcester Live on 611-427. And for children at the same theatre, so that's The Swan, on Sunday the 22nd of August, The Swan is hosting a production of Little Bo Peep. It starts at 1.30pm and tickets are £11. And again, it's Worcester Live on 611-427. And finally, six fake bands will be coming to Worcester Pitchcroft on Saturday, uh, August the 28th, to perform in the Worcester Fake Festival. Worcester Fake Festival's said about this, we're bringing six of our fake bands to Worcester, professional touring-grade tribute bands that put on a superb performance. They look, sound and move like the real rock stars. You have to see them to believe it. The festival's caters for all ages inside a giant marquee and runs from 11.45am to 11pm. Advanced tickets, including £32.50 for an adult, £25 for children aged 10 to 17, are available from fakefestivals.co.uk slash 2021 slash Worcester. And if anyone's interested, they can hear the Kings of Lyon, I think that should be the Kings of Leon, yes. And Stereotonics, which is a cover of the Welsh band Stereophonics. And closing the evening will be Oasis, a tribute band to Oasis. Clever wording there. So that is the end of what's on for the moment, I think. And we will now move swiftly on to the main headlines. Phil is going to read the headlines out and then start with the first story. OK. Friday, August the 6th, gave us bottle thrown at face. Saturday, leaflets targeting vaccines. Monday, August the 9th, backseat drink driver. Tuesday, the pest who came to dinner. Wednesday, caught out. And today, village hit by vehicle break-ins. 
So here is the first of those stories, as advertised, bottle thrown at face. A mum lobbed a bottle over a fence, which cut her neighbour's face open in a bloody attack, but says she only threw it after the other woman threw one first. Shannon Taylor admitted assault, occasioning actual bodily harm and a fray when she appeared before magistrates in Worcester. Her neighbour needed five stitches to her face after she was hit by the glass bottle, described in court as a milk bottle. The assault, which left the woman with an open wound, was also captured on CCTV. The 26-year-old of Barnesway, Worcester, pleaded guilty to ABH charge on the basis the assault was provoked by her neighbour throwing a bottle first. However, the Crown did not accept this version and argued that the attack was unprovoked. A further hearing will be held to resolve this single issue. Shafquat Riaz, prosecuting, opened a case to magistrates describing what happened on April 29th this year. He said, It's a neighbourhood dispute. Over a fence, a bottle has been thrown by the defendant. It causes a cut and injuries to the complainant. It's a glass bottle which did not shatter, but it did cause the cuts to her face, her lip and chin. After the bottle was thrown, more people, including the defendant and other neighbours, became involved in a wider disorder, which makes up the affray charge. Mrs Sarah Brady, defending, said the woman suffered a cut lip which required five stitches and a graze to the chin, as well as a sore forehead. It's a nasty cut, said Mrs Brady. She said the woman had uh, said the bottle had caused lasting damage. Mrs Brady accepted that her client did have previous convictions for violence. She said, the mitigating feature here is it's a very short incident. The affray is charged separately. The ABH is a momentary incident, a microsecond on the CCTV, following a bit of verbal. A trial of issue was fixed at Worcester Magistrates Court for Monday, October 4th, because whether the attack was deemed provoked or unprovoked would make a significant difference to the sentence. The court heard that the defendant, who is now subject to eviction proceedings which arose out of this incident, had not lived at the Barnesway address since. The defendant has a separate bail address elsewhere in Worcester, and as part of her bail conditions, must not contact any prosecution witnesses. And here we have the next one, which is Saturday uh, and Sunday, August the 7th and August the 8th. Leaflets targeting vaccines. Jabs are likened to Nazi Germany. So there's concern at a Nazi leaflet, which has been comparing the national programme to Nazi Germany and has caused concern in a village near Worcester. An anonymous person has delivered leaflets in Witchenford, warning of the ethical concerns of the vaccine rollout to children. Families have received the mysterious leaflets this week. In response to claims made in the anti-vax pamphlet, Herefordshire and Worcestershire Clinical Commissioning Group has encouraged everyone who is eligible to take the vaccine. A parent from the village who received the leaflet said... I was puzzled when it dropped through the door. I initially thought it was something professional, but when I started reading it, alarm bells were ringing. They continued, There seemed to be lots of scary facts, but I couldn't see anything about who had produced it. I imagine anyone feeling confused or worried about whether to let their children have the vaccine could find it quite off-putting. 
Under existing guidance, some children aged 12 to 17 have been eligible for the jab if they have underlying health conditions. New advice will see the rollout of COVID-19 vaccinations for all 16 and 17-year-olds. The parent, who did not want to be named, continued, When I saw they were trying to liken the vaccine programme to Nazi Germany, I realised it wasn't an official document. I was shocked someone would go to these lengths to frighten parents who just need clear and factual information. Though the leaflets are in a blue and white colour similar to NHS corporate branding, they are not from an official source. In fact, the author of the leaflets has remained anonymous with no publisher mentioned. Parents living in the village are believed to have been targeted by whoever delivered the leaflets, which details what it says are the duty of care and ethical duties they should consider. A spokesman from Herefordshire and Worcestershire CCG said, We'd encourage anyone who is eligible to receive the vaccine to take up the offer in order to protect themselves and their friends and families from COVID-19. If anyone has questions or concerns about the vaccine, they should speak to their health professional. The statement added that more information can be found on the NHS website at www.nhs.uk slash conditions slash coronavirus dash covid dash 19 slash coronavirus dash vaccination. And the headline for Monday, August the 9th, backseat drink driver. An abusive drink driver jumped into the back seat of his hire car to pretend he was just a passenger before his girlfriend punched a police officer in the face during a degrading city centre attack. Michael Warner was caught drink driving in Angel, Angel Place in Worcester and then became abusive to police officers after he jumped into the back seat to try and trick officers into thinking he had not been behind the wheel. Chloe Stevens who was with Warner, then punched PC Burgess, one of the officers responding to the drink driver, on June the 26th. Nicola Phillips, the chairman of the magistrate's bench, awarded compensation of £100 to the officer for the hurt and degradation you caused him in a busy place on a Saturday night. Stevens, 24, of Swallowfields, Warnden Villages, Worcester, admitted assault by beating of an emergency worker. Warner, 32, of Hamlet Close Ludlow, admitted, admitted driving with excess alcohol and a public order offence involving the use of threatening or abusive words and of, of disorderly behaviour. A charge of driving without insurance was withdrawn after the defendant said he had been insured. It was the third time Warner had been caught drink driving in a 10-year period making him eligible for a longer ban, a mandatory three-year disqualification. Both defendants were sentenced separately at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday. Chafquatreas, prosecuting, said the incident happened just after midnight when police were on patrol in Worcester and they came across a vehicle blocking the road. He added, They have then followed this vehicle as it made off at speed. It stops in Angel Place. It's here they have approached the vehicle and they have seen the defendant lying in the rear passenger seat. 
When police spoke to him, he became abusive and confrontational and was arrested. The evidential reading in breath was 60 mcg of alcohol in 100 ml of breath, close to twice the legal limit of 35 mcg. He had previous convictions for driving with excess alcohol from May 2, 2012 and December 15, 2016. PC Burgess was trying to obtain a specimen of breath at the roadside and complete the procedure without hindrance when Stevens became involved, swearing at the officer. It's here the defendant has become agitated and with a closed fist has struck PC Burgess to the face, said the prosecutor. The blow caused slight reddening and swelling to the face. She had no previous criminal convictions. Amer Hussein, who represented both defendants, described Warner's attempt to get from the front to the back of the car as rather clumsy and that the public order offence was frustration on his part or realisation of what he's been caught for. Thereafter, he's entirely compliant with the drink-drive procedure, said the solicitor. The roofer, who is claiming benefits, owes £6,880 in outstanding court fines, having paid off 4500 Magistrates expressed concern that he had not kept the benefits agency up to date about his earnings. Mr Hussein said Stevens had expressed remorse and she wants to formally apologise for what she did. She had consumed alcohol, he said, and wanted her phone, which Warner had at the time of the incident, Mr Hussein said. For the drink driving, he was fined £692, ordered to pay a victim's surcharge of £69 and costs of £135. For the public order matter, he was fined a further £230 and they banned him from driving for 36 months. Stevens was fined £120, ordered to pay a victim's surcharge of £34, costs of £185 and compensation to the officer of £100. And now, the pest who came to dinner. Gull swoops in on shocked diners. A cheeky seagull is making the most of alfresco dining by stealing leftovers from plates in Cathedral Plaza. The gull took the opportunity to grab a quick snack from the table outside Pizza Express while bemused diners looked on. A video sent to Worcester News shows the bird in no hurry to finish its food on Friday evening, instead choosing to leisurely peck away at the crumbs. A spokesman from Pizza Express said, Our team work hard to clear plates as soon as diners are finished, but this time the cheeky fella got in before they had the chance. Turns out it's not only our customers that can't get enough of our delicious new menu. But while it was amusing to some people, others have questioned whether the extra outdoor dining areas brought in by COVID-19 have attracted more goals. Officers from Worcestershire Regulatory Services will now be visiting city centre businesses to remind them to make sure leftovers are cleared away quickly. One diner said, It was funny watching the birds swoop in to pick up the leftovers. It wasn't bothered about who was close by. It was being shooed away but kept returning to finish off the plate. Even though I did find it amusing, the seagulls in Worcester are a big issue and obviously the outdoor dining seems to be attracting them. I feel sorry for restaurants because they've needed outdoor seating for Covid and the more seating they have, the more people they can serve. But seagulls are a problem in Worcester, especially because they can be so aggressive and leave droppings everywhere. 
Gulls have been causing issues in Worcester for a number of years, with Councillor Alan Amos wanting a health and safety emergency to be declared as part of a plan to bring numbers under control. The council has been spending between thirty and forty thousand pounds each year to try to bring the problem under control. They have tried disturbing nests, removing eggs, using hawks to deter gulls, and buying gull-proof bins. A Worcester City Council spokesman said. Under the licences that allow restaurants, cafes and bars to have tables and seats on Worcester's pavement, there is a requirement that they are kept clean and tidy. That means clearing away any leftovers as quickly as possible to prevent incidents like this from happening. Officers from Worcestershire Regulatory Services will be visiting city centre businesses to remind them of this requirement. And here we are on Wednesday, August the 11th. Caught out. Dashcam cameras record hundreds of reckless drivers on county roads. Hundreds of dangerous drivers have been hit with fines, police visits, and prosecutions after being caught on dashcam footage. Dashcam footage of 409 reckless drivers in South Worcestershire has been submitted to police by other road users already this year. The number of submissions made through Operation Snap, where road users can send the footage direct to the police, has been steadily increasing since it launched in 2018. A Freedom of Information request by Worcester News found that 1,473 dashcam videos of alleged dangerous driving recorded in South Worcestershire have been sent to police since the operation launched. Drivers caught by the footage have been found guilty of offences including careless driving, dangerous driving, and perverting the course of justice. They were also caught running red lights, going down streets with no entry signs, and crossing solid white lines to take over or that should be overtake other vehicles. The cyclist from Bronxwood has shared up to 20 incidents of alleged bad driving a month and was a witness at court as a result of one report. He said it's a good thing police can't be everywhere and drivers know that and think they can get away with bad driving. Having been to court for one report, even after sentencing, I'm still not sure the guy understood what he had done wrong. But if he gives cyclists more room in future, that's a good thing. Another cyclist, who regularly bikes to school with his child, said he'd reported 15 drivers since May, mainly in Worcester. I will always report close passes where I think the distance from my handlebars to the car is under 1.5 metres. The close passes and dangerous driving is my number one concern as my children get old enough to think about riding to school on their own. He believes that Operation Snap might be having a positive effect on drivers' attitudes. I occasionally notice a car being super cautious around me, and I assume this is because a helmet camera has been spotted. Drivers should know that any cyclist they pass might be running a camera, sometimes clearly visible on a helmet, but often under handlebars or saddle where they won't see it. They are both frustrated, they do not know the outcome of their reports. Of the 15 reports I've made to West Mercia, I've had no feedback. 
This would be useful, as it would be nice to know if I'm wasting my time or there is anything I should do differently. For example, where I mount the camera so that the police are able to assess speed and distance from me. There are currently 381 prosecutions pending across the West Mercia Force area as of last month. Across West Mercia, 930 drivers have been ordered to take driver improvement slash awareness courses, while 175 drivers have received points and a fine since the operation launched. A further 201 people have had a summons to attend court. There have also been four Section 59 warnings, 86 traffic officer personal visits, 3,232 advisory letters sent, 212 road traffic collisions reported and 90 visits by the Safer Neighbourhood team. Superintendent Gareth Morgan of West Mercia Police said, We're really pleased to see the number of submissions increasing year on year through Operation SNAP. Through the submission of dash cam, helmet camera and mobile phone footage, members of the public can play a key role in improving the safety of our roads. Thank you to those who have already taken the time to submit footage. It really does make a difference. And finally, the headline for today, Thursday, August the 12th. Village hit by vehicle break-ins. A spate of car break-ins has prompted frustrated residents to call for police to take action. And a councillor for Warnden Villages, where the break-ins happen, says although it remains a low-crime area, residents are currently suffering a wave of crime. Last month, two vehicles were stolen from driveways of properties in Warnden. A black Mercedes S-Class was taken from Farrandles Avenue at 2.44am on July the 29th, while a black Mercedes was stolen from Fowler Avenue between 11.30pm on July the 28th and 8.10am on July the 29th. Last Friday morning, Paul Bennett said he discovered his car had been broken into on his drive at his home in Woodleeson Avenue, Lippard, Hanford. Warning others on social media, he said, Woke up to our car broken into on the drive. Nothing in there worth stealing, just left a mess. No damage. Make sure you lock the car and don't leave anything of value. He said that it felt like vehicle crime was currently going unchallenged, adding, there's been a lot of opportunist theft from cars in the villages lately. Chloe Scott said she put her 12-week-old baby into her car outside her home in Peabody Avenue on Wednesday morning, only to realise that the car had been broken into overnight. My purse had been taken with a driving licence and bank cards, she said. Money's been taken out of the car and the car was an absolute mess. They tried to get the wires out of the glove box to steal the vehicle, but obviously didn't get very far. It's disgusting what people can do. Other residents reported attempted break-ins to cars in Swallowfields on August the 4th, one resident capturing the offenders on their ring doorbell. In the footage, a person is seen setting off a security light sitting with his friend in the middle of the road before trying the door handles of two vehicles and calmly walking away. The spate is the latest after similar break-ins of cars in Warnden during the lockdown periods. 
Worcestershire County Councillor for Warnden, Andy Roberts, said. If it's the same people doing the rounds, they could just be working in an area before moving on. Warnden police were contacted for comment, but no one was available. Police ask anyone with information, including footage, to contact them on 101 or visit and that's the end of the story. We don't get where to visit. <laughs> Sorry about that, people. Right, so that's the end of the headline stories. And we can now move seamlessly on to general news stories. I think you can start us off, Phil, if that's OK. Thank you, I will. Yes, that's a nice story, this. Day trippers hit beach. More than 500 people from St John's have been given a chance to savour the seaside in Wales this summer. Several day trips from Worcester to Barry Island, the setting for hit sitcom Gavin and Stacey, have been organised this month following a £3,000 donation from St John's Labour councillors Matt Lamb, Robin Norfolk and Richard Udall. The trips, which have been organised by Worcester Community Trust, are fully booked with more than 100 people on a waiting list. Councillor Udall said the trips have proved a great success and given some people the chance to visit a beach for the first time. He said... It has been a great experience and something we will certainly be looking to do again in the future. One person actually said to me that it is the first time that their child has seen the sea and been on a beach. And it's really pleasing to hear that and really pleasing to hear that people are actually enjoying themselves. As I keep on saying, we want to bring the fun back. He continued, all the places are now taken up. So that's over 500 people that are going. There have been two trips so far and everyone has had a wonderful time. The sun has been shining every time. Fish, chips and ice cream are being consumed in great numbers. Five day trips from Worcester to South Wales have been organised throughout the summer. The three St John's Labour councillors pooled together £3,000, handed to them from the council's Covid funds and donated the money to Worcester Community Trust. We were going to do it last year to offer people the chance to get off the estate and out of Dines Green and St John's to have some good times, said Councillor Udall. Clearly last year was not appropriate, so we carried it over a year. He continued, We chose Barry Island because of the interest in Gavin and Stacey, and is somewhere different. To be honest, we were a bit fed up of people having to get a Western Super Mare all the time, so we found a new place to go. This is a story about an artist's buzz out of a trail, and that's the Elephant Trail you may have seen in town or heard about anyway. The artist behind one of the city's elephant sculptures has told that she drew her inspiration from botanical and scientific illustrations. Jess Perrin, who painted the elephant entitled Hive in the Herd, was also involved in the St Richard's Hospice Worcester Stands Tall initiative in 2018. She said, My elephant design for Worcester's big parade this summer is inspired by both the vintage botanical style and scientific illustrations. I absolutely love how delicate and intricate the design is. As part of its involvement in Worcester's Big Parade, an eight-week public art trail organised by St Richard's Hospice, which was launched in the city last month, the Hot Market is funding the Elephant with the co-sponsors Platform Housing Group. The Birmingham artist was chosen to design Hive in the Herd after submitting her design for the initiative last year and is responsible for any maintenance work required on the sculptures. Inspired by nature and the outside world, the 28-year-old 
is a freelance illustrator who completed her master's degree in visual communication in 2018 with a distinction, and since then has been involved in other art trails as well as running her own online store. Since 2017, Jess has been painting more than 35 sculptures, raising more than £120,000 for a whole host of charities through the sales of her work. The Hot Market is supporting Worcester's Big Parade by organising a whole host of free summer in the courtyard delivered by Spare Room Arts. Activities throughout August are based on animals and nature to complement the city's elephant theme. Jess said, I feel so privileged to take part in Worcester's Big Parade. Decorating the elephant has been an amazing experience. Bill Simpson, chairman of Hot Market Charity, said, We're so delighted to be sponsoring Jess's Hive in the Herd Elephant as part of this Wild in Art St Richard's Hospice initiative. Her fantastic design is just wonderful and so welcomed after such a difficult 18 months. Thank you, Jess. Tricia Cavill, fundraising director at St Richard's Hospice, said a hive in the herd looks stunning against the background of the hive in the city and it's wonderful to see so many people out enjoying the sculpture trail. We're so grateful to the Hop Market and their co-sponsor for choosing this design and to Jess Perrin for her fabulous artwork to support our care at St Richard's Hospice. And above that, there is the picture of the elephant, which is, as one might expect, a honey colour and has um, hive um, bees and um, a, a round of foliage and bee cells. It looks rather nice. I haven't seen that one. I should have mentioned it in the What's On, shouldn't I? That the, yes, um, there, there are 66 on the trail to go yes, and see. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, keep. Um, I'll keep I'll, counting. Yes, keep counting. Um, well, I think we'll continue with the kind of happy news theme. This is about Broadway Tower. Broadway Tower has been named one of the most romantic locations in the country to get engaged. The Eiffel Tower and Disney World may have once been the most popular places to pop the question, but with COVID bringing a temporary suspension to such getaways. Brits have begun to realise the beauty on offer closer to home. Clothing shop Tog24 has analysed the frequency of hashtags used on Instagram in the past six months to find out the most romantic places in England and Scotland to get engaged. Worcestershire's Broadway Tower came second on the list, behind only Gold Hill in Shaftesbury. The tower, built in 1799, is 20 metres high, making it the second highest point in all of the Cotswolds. It's part of a 50-acre estate of parkland, and the grounds also contain a Cold War nuclear bunker, although that's probably not quite as romantic. Mark Ward, Managing Director of TOG24, said, The last year and a half has been an extremely difficult time for people in the UK. Whilst most restrictions are coming to an end, those who love to explore the world and make romantic memories in far-flung destinations are still struggling to do so. But what we have seen during lockdown and the ongoing restrictions is that more and more people are exploring the very best of the countryside on their doorsteps, whether that's for exercising, socialising or even romance. And with UK weddings now back on the agenda, we wanted to see if this reawakened love of the countryside 
was creeping into the consciousness of the romantics amongst us. And I would say, looking at the top 10 list here, that it is, because there is only one urban um, place on the list. So it goes Gold Hill, Shaftesbury, Broadway Tower, Worcestershire, Tower Bridge, London, Colton Fishacre, which I think is in Devon, possibly, I'm not sure, Thomas Hardy's Cottage, Chatsworth House, Stratford-upon-Avon, Stonehenge, the Peak District, and Powderham Castle, Devon. So, well, it's a lovely list. I proposed outside Barton's bus garage in Ilkeston, <laughs> and I'm not surprised it's not on the list. <laughs> right, officer denies his fault in fatal crash. A police officer travelling at speeds at up to 110 miles an hour responding to an emergency call from colleagues crashed into another car en route, fatally injuring its driver, a court has heard. Experienced West Mercia Police Constable Jamie Holloway, a qualified advanced driver and trained firearms officer, went into the rear of David Shaw's Ford Fiesta on May 28, 2018, which was a bank holiday. Holloway, 50 and an officer since 2002, is on trial at Worcester Crown Court, accused of causing death by dangerous driving after causing Mr Shaw's car to flip twice and land on its roof. Mr Shaw, who had been in a queue of traffic travelling at 37 miles an hour, was signalling and moving right as he was struck by Holloway's unmarked BMW X5, which was on blue lights and sirens and travelling well above the road's 50 miles an hour speed limit. Opening the case, Duncan Atkinson QC said the road went from a single lane to two lanes immediately at the point the crash happened on the busy A449 main road at the village of Acton, halfway between Worcester and Kidderminster. The Crown's barrister said that preceding the two-lane section, the BMW had been keeping right where it was driving over a section of road painted with hatched markings to show right-hand turn-only junctions. Mr Atkinson said that as the road again became two lanes, 53-year-old Mr Shaw indicated right and started to move to the right. In doing so, he was therefore using the road in the way for which it was designed and in a way a driver would be expected to behave, added the Crown QC. Holloway, who was in the, cra- in the car with a colleague, crashed while on the way to Worcester to give backup to police dealing with a man who had been making suicide threats and had a tendency towards violence. Mr Atkinson said the prosecution case is this was obviously excessive speed for the road and more particularly for the traffic conditions on that road at the time. As David Shaw started his manoeuvre, the BMW X5 crossed the hatched mark area and right-hand turn junctions started to break. But such was its speed, the BMW stood no chance of avoiding Mr. Mr. Shaw's Fiesta or a chance of slowing to a safer speed, let alone stopping before it struck him. Mr. Atkinson said Holloway later told investigators he was responding to an incident in which he had heard panic in the voices of his colleagues. The officer said that he considered there to be an immediate risk to life and therefore believed (coughs) his driving was necessary and proportionate. Mr Atkinson said there was forced guidance about when officers should drive above the speed limit, which read, they should only have done so following a clear decision of necessity, proportionality and circumstances existing at the time. The Crown's QC added, in short, the prosecution case is the defendant caused David Shaw's death by driving in a manner which fell far below the standard of that of a reasonable and competent driver, driving that can be categorised as dangerous. Holloway denies any wrongdoing 
and a trial estimated to take up to eight days continues. And this is a story about backing for a day centre. A Worcester charity has pledged its continuous support for Mag's Day Centre. The trustees of Worcester Municipal Charities Board unanimously agreed to award the Mag's Day Centre for people experiencing homelessness with a cash grant of £29,646 towards its staff running costs and it will continue the provision of two rent-free buildings the Day Centre in Deansway and the Clothing Project and offices at 59-60, the tithing, with annual rental values worth £10,000 and £29,850 respectively, totalling £69,646. Now that Mags is also running services for people experiencing homelessness in Malvern, as well as the city, the trustees decided to restrict the use of their grant to Worcester in accordance with their own trust deed, which specifies the city boundary as its charitable area of benefit. Mags provides a day centre in Deansway, which also hosts a health hub where visiting health services provide drop-ins and a free clothing project in the tithing. Max also provides an outreach team for street sleepers, a rehousing project with support to teach people the skills to maintain a tenancy independently, and each year they help around 600 people. Max supports people experiencing homelessness and socially isolated people in Worcester, offering help to the most marginalised groups in society. Many are unable to fulfil the most basic of needs and face significant barriers to integrating back into society. Alongside addressing basic needs like friendship, food, laundry and showers, MAG staff provide one-to-one support and signpost the people they work with to access other relevant agencies such as hostels, GPs and the NHS, drug and alcohol dependency support services and housing providers. Mags has a deep-rooted belief that people experiencing homelessness need much more than just a house or a flat. Mags' mission is not just to support people experiencing homelessness in their existing situation, but to help them make the lifestyle changes necessary for them to start a new chapter in their lives. Mags helps people they work with to tackle the issues that hold them back, like a lack of confidence, substance misuse or poor health, so that they can access permanent independent housing and in time benefit from returning to a more conventional lifestyle off the streets. Firefighters braved the elements to remember a friend and former colleague who lost his battle with cancer earlier this year. To honour the memory of Stu Krebin, who died at the age of 46 in March, firefighter Spence Jones led 32 of his Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service colleagues and Stu's sister, Sam Krebin, to complete the Brecon Beacons Ten Peaks Traverse West to East Challenge on Saturday. The challenge involved climbing the ten highest peaks within the Brecon Beacons National Park, 
around 42 miles of mountain terrain with 3,100 metres of ascent and the average 80 kg person burning around 9,000 calories. Mr Jones said, We're confident that we'll surpass last year's fundraising total. Stu's memory will live on long into the future with an annual Phoenix Challenge and the planning for next year's event has already started. He continued, Stu was dedicated to raising money for the firefighters' charity and the outpouring following his death from fire and rescue services and colleagues across the country was overwhelming. He made his mark, genuinely cared for people and stood up for what he believed, so it's only right for us to keep that legacy going. There is still time to make a donation to the challenge by visiting justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Stu's Phoenix Challenge. Our next story is headed mystery out in the field. A hidden message written in a field at Worcester Woods Country Park has been discovered by a drone. The drone's pilot, Adam Llewellyn, was surprised to see the name Rob written on the field near the countryside centre. The name is written in giant letters on Horn Hill Meadows local nature reserve, which forms part of the country park. The person behind the writing remains a mystery, although the chances are their name is Rob. Mr Llewellyn found the letters when he was showing his drone to a colleague from Worcestershire Royal Hospital. He said, It's become a hobby of mine. I use this drone for photographs and I've had a few requests to take pictures of different things. I was testing it over County Hall when I came across it. Someone had written Rob. It's very bizarre. It's strange because walking across the field with no idea it was there. Mr Llewellyn from Droitwich has shared pictures on Facebook and friends are tagging in fellow Robs to see if they can solve the mystery. No one has owned up yet, he said. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council shed some light on who may have been responsible. They said, The Wildflower Meadow, which forms part of Hornhill Meadow's local nature reserve at Worcester Woods Country Park, was being cut as part of our annual hay cut to encourage the growth of wildflowers. This positive management forms part of Worcestershire's pollinator strategy to attack bees, insects and other wildlife. They continued, One of our countryside officers was trialling a new cut and collect machine whilst mowing the field and the drone captured a bird's eye view of the job midway through. The meadow has been fully cut and is now ready for next year's growth of wildflowers. And this is a popular village pub has reopened after a brief renovation. The Crown Inn in Hallow, near Worcester, reopened on Monday, having been closed since Christmas. New pub manager Mark Ely said taking the reins at the village pub was the highlight of his career. He said, I've worked in hospitality for the last 12 years and have managed some beautiful pubs, restaurants and hotels throughout the UK. Being born in Worcester and leading the Crown Inn here in Hallow is a real honour and the highlight of my career, especially as it was somewhat somewhere that as a family we used to visit many years ago. From working in Worcester many years ago, it seems I've moved back home. Our little dog, Mabel, is enjoying all the wonderful walks around the villages and is certainly making herself at home. With a passion for food and drink, I'm so excited to be reopening the Crown Inn soon. Joining Mark at the Crown Inn is Jane Graham Whitehouse, who will be working with the community and customers to ensure large groups and parties are well catered for. She said the Crown Inn is blessed with some fantastic outdoor space, 
and the accommodation inside is also very flexible to enable us to welcome large groups or private functions. My main role will be coordinating functions to make sure everything is well organised and our guests can re relax and simply enjoy their time here at the Crown Inn. I've been working within the wedding and events industry for the last eight years, as well as running a mobile bar. Like Mark, I love dogs and enjoy walking my mad Labrador Ollie in the Worcestershire countryside. Major Brewers Green King withdrew its major refurbishment plans for the Crown Inn earlier this year, vowing to reopen after a fashion-up as part of the plans that would create 40 jobs. The previous plans for the pub had promised a bigger bar and toilets, a transformed garden and outdoor seating areas with a new covered pergola and pods, or pergola and pods, for alfresco dining, which had led to many complaints from neighbours who feared it would cause havoc in the quiet village. Well, this story um, is very close to my heart because I actually noticed the mural not very long ago myself. So, Mural Tells City Story. Just behind the trolley park, outside Sainsbury's in Blackpool, lies an incredible piece of public art. Stretching across the shop front and depicting the history of Worcester, many shoppers probably walk past the incredible detailed mural, as I did for many years. But the history behind the mural is almost as interesting as the city history that it depicts. Everything is included, from the birth of the city, Battle of Worcester, to Edward Elgar and even our sister paper, Barrow's Journal. Paul Harding from Discover History has revealed the history behind the artwork at Sainsbury's in Windermere Drive. Ever since the 1970s, Sainsbury's has been educating shoppers passing through the main entrance. Next time you take a trolley or stop to use the cash point at Sainsbury's, it's worth taking a few minutes to marvel at this beautiful work of art that is often missed or overlooked, he said. Mr Harding explained that Sainsbury's supermarket was first established as a small store in Drury Lane, London, in 1869. After the Second World War, Sainsbury's saw how one supermarket in Rotterdam rebuilt in a very modern style and installed some very modern art to suit an age of freedom and change. This led to Sainsbury's commissioning different works of art to showcase the store's modern outlook. In the 1970s, husband and wife team Henry Collins and Joyce Pallett were commissioned to design and make several pieces of art for Sainsbury's. Their first piece was at their hometown supermarket in Colchester. In 1976, the two artists were asked to produce a piece of art at the new store in Worcester. This would use concrete moulded relief panels and then finished with some details being picked out using coloured paint and gilding. The artwork is passed by hundreds of people every day. The panels take you through the history of Worcester and they pick out both well-known and at times less common events, Mr Harding said. One of the first panels shows flint and stone tools, which backed up by the archaeological record, shows Worcester saw hunter-gatherers from as far back as the Stone Age. Further along the wall, you'll see the name changes from the possible Roman name of Thirtis to the Anglo-Saxon Weogernach Easter, and then from the name Wires Chester from the 1086 Doomsday Book to Worcester in more recent times. 
There is even a panel dedicated to the brave fighting men of Worcester, many who laid down their lives to bring us freedom, Mr Harding added. I would highly recommend you take a look at each panel and maybe see where this history lesson takes you. Interesting. An important story, this one, I think, for many of us. General practitioners head online for first contact. Patients at a Worcester surgery will be asked to provide details of their symptoms online as part of a new booking system. The website has been launched with the aim of making booking GP appointments online easier and was rolled out to patients at Haresfield Surgery this week, following numerous complaints from patients who struggled to use the old system. The surgery on Newtown Road was slammed by angry patients when they began directing people to book online rather than on the phone back in May. One patient said, you can no longer make an on-the-day appointment request via the telephone. You are referred to complete a long-winded form on the Haresfield House website and then someone will look through the form and give you a call in two days to arrange an appointment. Off the back of the complaints, Worcester City Primary Care Network and SW Healthcare are working in partnership to develop new digital platforms for GP practices in Worcestershire. This is a move intended to improve access for patients and help them get more from local NHS services. As the first phase of this new scheme, new websites have been launched for GP practices in Worcester City. The new app-style websites have been designed to allow patients to find the information they need at the touch of a button. Haresfield and Kempsey Surgeries have launched their new website through the scheme and did so alongside a new digital consulting system, which uses artificial intelligence technology to ask patients about their ailments to provide GPs with an overview of their symptoms before their appointment begins. Dr Andy John, GP at Haresfield and Kempsey Surgeries, explained... Our new online consulting system offers another way to access the surgery, making it easier for patients to tell us what's bothering them. It also improves patient safety by helping us to identify more concerning conditions quickly so that they can be prioritised each day. He went on, Patients can share their symptoms with us using the online service, which asks further important questions based on AI technology. And our receptionists are also able to use this same technology for those who prefer to phone. The details will be rapidly assessed and patients will be contacted, either to book an appointment with the most appropriate member of our team or to confirm that their request has been actioned. One of the core benefits of using this system is that when patients attend their appointments, our clinicians will already have the details of what's wrong to hand, so they're able to ask the right questions more quickly and offer a better level of support to patients during their consultation. Worcester practices which have signed up to a digital access scheme include Seven Valley Medical Practice, St John's House Medical Centre, Thornillow Lodge Surgery, Spring Gardens Group Medical Practice, Barbourne Health Centre, St Martin's Gate Surgery and Elbury Moor Medical Centre. The websites have been developed at SW Healthcare and more than half the current spend by practices on existing website services. Nikki Redshaw, manager at Worcester City Primary Care Network, said digital platforms aren't intended to replace existing telephone or face-to-face provisions. And this next one is a resort fears over party house plan. 
Frustrated neighbours say shouting, screaming, and loud music into the early hours at a holiday let is turning the quiet residential street into a holiday resort in Spain. Residents spoke out about late night noise as controversial plans to convert a listed building into a party house resurfaced. The proposals by Blockwork ask for retrospective permission for Pitmuston House in Worcester to be converted into a mix of residential and holiday apartments, work that has already been carried out. An initial plan was rejected by Worcester City Council over concerns about noise, but the plans have now been resubmitted. The resubmission of the plan has already led to one objection from a neighbour in Winchester Avenue who said screaming, shouting, laughter and drunken stupor from partygoers until the early hours at Pitmuston House was spoiling the area and angering neighbours. Why ever this application is being considered is beyond words, the objection said. This is a residential area and needs to stay that way. This is not a holiday resort in Spain. This is Worcester. Blockworks has been battling with the council over obtaining the correct planning permission for the Grade 2 listing building off Morven Road after the developer had its proposals to convert seven rooms into a mix of residential and holiday flats rejected at the end of 2020. The developer then appealed to the government's planning inspector in a bid to get the council's decision overturned, but was unsuccessful. Bookings for hen parties of up to 12 people at Pitmaston House have been available on several websites for a number of years. Another objector to the first plan said, This has always been a quiet residential area and we feel it's unacceptable to expect the residents around this property to put up with the shouting, screaming and loud music into the early hours of the morning when the property is used for a holiday let. We've already heard the disturbances from the properties when parties have occurred there and are very worried that the disturbances will only increase if this application is allowed to proceed. Complaints were made by neighbours about noise at Pitmuston House, which currently only has permission for residential flats rather than short-term holiday lets in 2017. These were investigated by the council and eventually led to the planning application being submitted. A family-run removal company has been targeted by thieves who drained two trucks of diesel and damaged a third. Chloe Thorpe, who works at Lambs Removals and Storage with her father and managing director Peter Dullahan, said the theft was thousands of pounds worth of damage. The theft is thought to have occurred at some point over the weekend 7th-8th of August at the storage facility in Shrub Hill Industrial Estate, Worcester. Miss Thorpe said, It is really frustrating. Whilst it was clearly a random attack and not personal, this is our business, our things. So it has affected us. It's not nice. Three of our trucks were targeted. One was drained of fuel completely. One tank can cost around £600. A second truck was also drained, but they were nice enough to leave us a drop in that one. A third truck was significantly damaged and has had to be taken out of use whilst we source parts and attempt to repair it. 
We're working with the police and our landlord to try and improve our security. The other business owners have been really supportive with helping police and looking over the CCTV. It is hard not to be worried about it happening again. We've had to call around our customers and make sure we have the trucks to complete their removals. It's had a huge impact on us and we hope speaking out will deter the thieves and protect other businesses. The police are currently investigating the fuel thefts. My next story is headed Checking Out Touch of History. A couple have held on to a Tesco St. Peter's receipt since 1989 and it gives a fascinating insight into our shopping habits. The 31-year-old receipt was handed to store manager Steve Winfield, who did a comparison of what the total would be today. The shopping list of 24 items, which included Banks's bitter, Swiss roll and prawns, cost 24 <laughs> some meal that isn't it? Cost 24 pounds 57 back in 1989. A similar shopping trolley of food today would come to around 33 pounds 22. The receipt, which is in pristine condition, has the old Worcester dialing code at the bottom, 0905, and the supermarket's old brag, brand sorry, tagline, changing the way Britain shops. It gives an insight into how prices have changed, and some have remained the same, over the years. Mr Winfield said, It's amazing, really. My team leader, Joe, asked me to come and meet two customers who were in store on their 64th wedding anniversary. They have been shopping with us for a long time and we presented them with some flowers. And that's when they told me they still had the receipt from the first time they'd shopped at the store. They had just moved to the area and kept the receipt from their first shopping trip. Tesco St. Peter's opened in 1987 at the same time that the estate was being built. The receipt reveals changes in the way people shop, from Banks's Bitter no longer being sold in a four-pack of cans to the retro items such as... Now, here's a problem. Is it nice biscuits or niece biscuits? Oh, it's niece in my book. Niece in my book. We're going for niece, <laughs> so please don't blame me. It's retro items such as niece biscuits, prawns and trifle sponges. What I find fascinating is that they were probably doing a bit of Christmas shopping because you can see mincemeat and walnut halves on there, he said. They had pork ribs, but that would most likely have been brought off the counter we used to have. The old receipt has sparked interests among, interest among colleagues and Mr Winfield has now asked staff if they have any other old items from their time at Tesco. Mr Winfield, who has worked for Tesco since 1995, said one of the managers shared picture of her old badges. But what I would really like is to get hold of some of the old dresses we had as uniform. I'm going to hold on to the T-shirts we wore during the pandemic too. It's just interesting to think about the way we used to shop 30 years ago and wonder how we would shop in 30 years' time. Of course, back then we didn't have scanners you shop or the self-service tills. You wouldn't have had online or home delivery or even the club card. We have lots of loyal customers and I'm really proud to be store manager in my hometown, which is why I found this really interesting. And now, baking up fresh jobs. More than a dozen new jobs have been created as a major county food producer looks to expand its business. Van de Mortel in Lower Broadheath has plans to employ more than a dozen new staff to add to its existing workforce of nearly 60. The company has invested its production facilities, enabling it to move to 24-hour production, making specialist baked goods for retailers and caterers. 
Prior to setting up in the UK, Van de Mortel was established in Isigem in Belgium by Constant Van de Mortel and his son, Adhima. In 1974, it started making soya goods under the production name Alpro, a well-known brand today. It's partnered with a number of local recruiters and asked County MP Harriet Baldwin to visit and help to spread the word. Van de Mortel plant manager Mark Potton said, We're delighted to welcome Harriet to our site and demonstrate the significant investment the Van de Mortel business has made to its future, positioning us to be the first plant in the UK with the capability to produce pre-proofed Viennese soiree products at scale. We are able to discuss the benefits this investment will bring to the local community and economy through the expansion in activity, as well as the challenge we are facing in ramping up our production through the constraints of the current manpower supply shortage. Mrs Baldwin was given a briefing on the challenges the company is facing trying to recruit local people. She said Van der Mortel looked took the opportunity to significantly improve its Worcestershire manufacturing facility during lockdown, and it's looking to grow and take on more staff. I met with the local team to talk about their plans and hear about the challenges recruiting local people. The company has recently increased its pay levels to make attractive offers to new staff, and I'm keen to help publicise their vacancies. In Lower Broadheath, that's known as the pie factory. (laughs) Okay, so recognition for a hospice volunteer. A dedicated volunteer who spent over a decade serving a local hospice has been honoured with a prestigious award. Stella Reeve from Hallow, near Worcester, was nominated by St Richard's Hospice to receive the accolade, Badge of the Order of Mercy, and will collect it at a special ceremony held in London this September. The award recognises the work of volunteers who have spent at least seven years working to support others, including those living with a life-limiting illness. Only 50 medals are awarded to volunteers from around the country each year. Mrs Reeve, who recently retired from the role, had volunteered as a complementary therapist for St Richard's Hospice since 2006 and was pivotal in developing the use of aromatherapy oils within hospice services, providing significant benefits to patients. St Richard's Chief Executive June Patel said, For the entirety of her time as a volunteer, Stella has sought to develop her own knowledge in the area of aromatherapy in palliative care in order to shape our service. Her approach to patient well-being has enlightened our clinical team to the benefits of aromatherapy alongside medical treatment, providing a holistic approach to patient care. Stella is a truly deserving winner of the Order of Mercy for her service to St Richard's Hospice. In the words of a patient, Stella gives a wonderful sense of well-being. Mrs Reeve said, It is an unexpected honour for me to receive this award, I am very grateful for the encouragement and friendship of the whole hospice team. It has been a real privilege and pleasure to serve alongside them. Drug dealers jailed. Two men involved in County Line's drug dealings have been jailed. 
Joseph Hawkins, 28, and Ricky Purcell, 29, were sentenced at Worcester Crown Court after pleading guilty to conspiracy to supply Class A controlled drugs. In June 2021, West Mercia police officers launched an investigation to specifically target the county line drug dealing enterprise operating under the street name of TJ. This led to the arrest of Hawkins and Purcell, both of Rolleston Road, Erdington, on June 15, 2021, in Lempster. Hawkins was sentenced to four years, nine months, while Purcell was sentenced to four years, four months. Their guilty plea took into account their acknowledgement that they were the organisers of the TJ drug line. Herefordshire Detective Sergeant Jamie Bullock said, This prompt investigation and sentence should be a stark warning to those who think it is acceptable to undertake this criminality. The impact this has on our communities will not be tolerated. I urge anyone who is concerned that drug dealing is happening in their street or town to please contact us on Crime Stoppers and we will investigate. We are determined to keep people safe and protect them from harm and working together we can achieve this. We work closely with our partner agencies to tackle serious and organised crime such as County Lines under our campaign Protect. Anyone concerned about drug dealing in their local area can be reported online at westmercia.police.uk forward slash ro forward slash report forward slash. If you have information but don't feel comfortable speaking to the police, you can speak to the independent charity Crime Stoppers. Now here's something that is uh, food for thought. Age is no barrier to marathons. A 74-year-old Ledbury man has completed his 300th marathon, making him one of the oldest runners to join the world mega-marathon list. Philip Howells, who was the town's mayor in 2019, reached the milestone with the 50-kilometre Round Reading Ultra Marathon, which also secured him a UK 100 Marathon Club Triple Crown Award. A place on the world mega-marathon list has only ever been achieved by fewer than 1,000 runners. It is yet to be confirmed if Mr Howells, aged 74 years and 102 days, is the oldest ever to do so. He is only the sixth runner to achieve the triple crown by completing 100 each of road, trail and ultra-marathons. Overall, he has covered a distance of 9,192 miles in official competitions, approximately the distance from Tokyo, Japan, to Cape Town in South Africa. Mr Howells began his running career more than 40 years ago, when he set his sights on running two marathons while still in his 30s. With this goal comfortably achieved, he didn't return to running until he was 54 when he ran the London Marathon in aid of the Miscarriage Association charity. From then on, he was hooked, and in 2010, the Tewkesbury Running Club member began the careful logistical planning necessary to reach his 300-run milestone. He said, Reviewing my figures at the time, by now at the age of 63, I realised... I had averaged over 33 miles per race, having done lots of ultras, and it occurred to me that I probably still had maybe 15 years of endurance running in me. My mind popped up 
with the loopy notion of targeting 333 marathons at an average of 33 miles for a round and pleasing, symmetric 10,000 miles of marathon race running. He continued, By chance at this stage, my totals of road, trail and ultramarathons were quite close. So I also set the ambition of getting to 300, with exactly 100 each of those three marathon categories. Clearly, these were unlikely and unambitious targets at that age, but I felt, why not? And with that, and a fair wind, not unachievable. The wind did not always blow fair for Mr Howells, with a cardiologist diagnosing heart problems and advising against further marathons, and then a major back operation. Oh dear. Well... To conclude the general news stories, um, I found this one, and I promise you, it is not April the 1st. Listen up. Worcester Housing and Care Provider Sanctuary has pledged to install hedgehog-sized holes in the garden fences of all its new homes, encouraging free movement of local wildlife. Residents moving into new properties can expect to discover hedgehog highways, a network of CDK-sized square holes linking their gardens with neighbouring plots and other green spaces for hedgehogs to travel through. Hedgehog highway signs made from recycled plastics will be attached above the gaps to ensure their purpose is obvious to new residents and to highlight the importance of protecting the much-loved creatures. Sanctuary has purchased the signs from Hedgehog Street with funding from its Moore Initiative, which supports community projects in areas where new homes are being developed. Hedgehog Street is a joint campaign by wildlife charities, People's Trust for Endangered Species and the British Hedgehog Preservation Society to help the UK's native hedgehog population, which has fallen by a third in urban areas since the millennium. Grace Johnson from Hedgehog Street said, Hedgehogs travel around a mile every night through parks and gardens in their quest to find enough food, nest sites and mates. Walls and fences can fragment the landscape, making it very difficult for hedgehogs to get from one green space to the next. Hedgehog highways are our main solution for ensuring there is good connectivity between suitable habitats and we're delighted that Sanctuary is making this positive step change for hedgehogs. Colleen Eccles, Sanctuary's Head of Place Shaping, added, As a national developer of new homes, we are always looking for sustainable ways to enrich our communities. We're thrilled that we can support this important initiative and implement something as simple as cutting a 13 centimetre by 13 centimetre square hole in garden fences to instantly improve connectivity and help protect this threatened species. Well, I jolly well hope I see a lot more hedgehogs as a result. <coughs> Moving on, Phil, can you start us off with our first sports story, please? Indeed I can, Pips, and it's about cricket. Plans declared for City Cricket Centre. The city's university has submitted multi-million pound plans to build the world's first inclusive cricket centre. The International Cricket Centre would be built at the university's seven campus off the city's Hilton Road as part of a major expansion of the site. Creating the new cricket ground and education centre will provide a national home for all forms of disability cricket. A statement included with the application said... 
The Cricket Centre represents an international-level inclusive sports and education facility for Worcester and its wider region, and is being delivered alongside the England and Wales Cricket Board. The centre will cement the university and Worcester's position as a global leader in inclusive sport and physical education and will advance further opportunities for research and collaboration in this regard. The introduction of a biomechanics laboratory within the proposed centre will also offer outstanding opportunities to support athletes at all levels and develop world-leading research in cricket. Worcestershire County Cricket Board estimates that an additional 8,000 people will benefit from the centre every year, including young children, disabled athletes, women's squads and students. Around 7,500 school children in Worcestershire play cricket every year and there is a hope that the new centre will push that up to 40,000 within three years. The work, which will be carried out as part of plans to create quote, a health, well-being and inclusive sports centre to accompany the U- university arena, will create new walking and cycling routes and green spaces throughout the campus, as well as cycle storage for almost 300 bikes and 300 car parking spaces, including 100 electric car charging points. Further work, which also includes the university's ongoing work to turn the former Worcester News offices at Barrows House into a medical school for nurses, midwife and midwives and other health professionals, will see a new dedicated cycle route created through the campus connecting St John's and Sabrina Bridge via Henwick Road and Hilton Road. During the summer of 2020, the Worcestershire LEP and the government awarded a £3 million grant to the university for infrastructure and green works at its seven campus through the LEP's Get Building Fund. Worcester Warriors, on the other hand, season ticket holders, have labelled the club's decision to charge for an upcoming friendly a slap in the face. The fury began when the club announced the pre-season match against Connacht on September the 3rd would be free for season ticket holders, while the friendly the following week against Glasgow Warriors, dubbed the Clash, would not. Many fans said that such matches have been free in previous years and flocked to social media to express their displeasure at the club's decision, especially after spending hundreds of pounds on season tickets in the last two seasons, while many matches were played behind closed doors. One fan, Paul Ward, wrote, Is this what Worcester Warriors means with their Time for Change slogan? The management really must be in cuckoo land. Is this how they treat loyal supporters? Although the club has not had gate receipts, they have had assistance from the government in furlough and grants. Some businesses receive nothing and have had to survive the last 18 months on what they could earn. Another fan, Phil Roberts, wrote, I'm usually fighting the club's corner, but taking away games that are usually included in our ST and giving us one back as a thank you after spending hundreds of pounds over the last two seasons for almost no actual return, game attendance, feels like a bit of a slap in the face, to be honest. Robert Phillips, a season ticket holder of 15 years, added, What are they thinking? LOL crazy. Shows the times we're living in right now and how desperate everyone is to start making money again, I suppose. The club has responded to the criticisms confirming 
that the decision to include pre-season friendlies as part of the season ticket package is a discretionary one and determined on a game-by-game basis. The statement continued, In recent seasons, we have charged for pre-season matches against Melbourne Rebels, Argentina and the Barbarians. The clash with Glasgow Warriors is a similar high-profile fixture with associated costs involved in staging the game. The club added that fans will gain access to an additional game due to the expansion of the Gallagher Premiership, while season ticket prices for returning fans were down 10% from the 2019-20 prices. So bad news for uh, Worcester City football supporters. (coughs) City dumped out. Early goals knocked the stuffing out of City as Coventry hit four to progress in the FA Cup. Tim Harris's first competitive match in charge of Worcester City ended in defeat as his side were dumped out of the FA Cup in the extra preliminary round by a clinical Coventry United side. A Louis Ezewele own goal in the opening 90 seconds was quickly followed by a Tyler Haddo tap-in as the hosts stormed out of the blocks to lead 2-0 after just five minutes. The impressive Riley Cole Sullivan added a third on the half-hour mark before Billy Shaw headed into his own net after the break to make it 4-0. City rallied in the second half and got one back through the lively Archie Muirhead, but it proved to be nothing but a consolation in the end as City's adventure in the Cup ended at the first hurdle. Captain for the day, Aaron Roberts, had the chance late on to add a second from the spot, but his penalty was poor and easily stopped by Rhys Francis in front of the travelling City supporters. A disappointing start to the season, but they must now dust themselves down before they kick off their Midland Football League Premier Division campaign next week when they welcome AFC Wolfrunians to Clanes Lane and it's a 3pm kick-off. Right, after that it'd be nice to bring news of a victory, but I'm afraid it is not to be. Rapid decline is the headline. Jake Libby's 76 wasn't enough for the Worcester Rapids as they were knocked out of the Royal London Cup following a 46-run defeat to Durham in the final match of the group stage at New Road. Having lost their last five matches, Worcestershire failed to qualify for the knockout stages. Libby hit five boundaries and an 88-ball knock as Worcestershire tried to chase down the 290 target set by the visitors, led by opener Alex Lee's superb 93. Despite some spirited hitting late in the order from Jack Banton, Josh Baker and Charlie Morris, the Rapids were bowled out for 243 in 45.1 overs. Durham captain Scott Borthwick opted to bat first, with Rapids club captain Joe Leach and Morris sharing the new ball for the initial 10-over power play. Durham managed 40 for none in this time. Their opening partnership of Alex Lees and Graham Clark worked together for 73 runs before the latter was caught out by Leach from a Brett D'Oliveira delivery. Lees was stopped short of his third tournament century thanks to Adam Finch. David Beddingham also impressed at the crease advancing to 66 from 41 before his lofted shot was caught by Banton at long off. Barnard finished with 2 for 52, Finch 2 for 54, Banton 1 for 18, D'Oliveira 1 for 51 and Baker 1 for 60. 
The chase started poorly for Rapids. Opener Dolivera dismissed for five before Tom Fell caught LBW for six. Fourth batsman Libby arrived strongly, collecting a trio of boundaries before opener Jack Haynes was stumped for 20. Libby was finally taken out of the game when he was caught at extra cover off Liam Trevaskis. The county now returned for the final part of the 2021 county championship campaign, which restarts at the end of this month against Sussex. Two Worcester students celebrated gold success at the British Rowing Championships last weekend. Georgie Sharp, aged 18, and Alice Baker, 17, were crowned under-18 British champions at the National Water Sports Centre at Nottingham. Worcester sixth form rowers represented King's Worcester and competed against seven pairs from all around the country from major rowing clubs and leading rowing schools. And on the day, the formidable pair rowed superbly through the heats and then on into the final, when they competed against leading crews from Aberdeen Schools Rowing Association and Marlow Rowing Club. After competing in what was one of the hottest days of the year, the girls' hard work and determination paid off and they secured an impressive gold position at the fiercely competitive event. Oh, isn't that lovely to finish on a good news story? Well done, both of them. So we will uh, conclude this week's um, newspaper reading with the thought for the week from you, Phil, please. Today's thought comes from Ephesians verse 2, chapters 17 and 18. Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Short but sweet. And I have the sunset and sunrise times. Uh, The sun rose this morning at 5.48am and it will set tonight at 8.58pm. Nights are drawing in, sadly to say. Finally, we finish off with the birthdays and I'm delighted to wish... Gillian Andrews, a very happy birthday on the 16th of August, which is, where are we now, the 12th? Is that Monday? Yes, Monday. Have a very happy birthday on Monday, Gillian, from everyone here at Talking Newspapers. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank our readers today, Phil. Bye. And Jane. Bye. And a thank you to John, who's waving. He's not yet. He is now. He's waving goodbye to you all from behind the glass Who, as he finishes off our engineering for this week's edition. And a thank you from me, and I hope you all have a good week ahead. Bye-bye. Peter Atkinson, formerly of Laysinton, passed away on the 15th of July. The funeral service is to take place on Friday the 13th of August at 11.30am at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired for cancer research, may be sent care of F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housel Road, Malvern, WR14 1TL. Pamela Ann Cowell passed away peacefully on July the 25th. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 16th of August at 12.15. Family flowers only with donations to St Richard's Hospice sent care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, St John's, 
Worcester WR25BT. Michael James Hadley passed away suddenly on the 17th of July. The funeral service has already taken place. Donations, if desired, for to Friends of the Elderly, Malvern, may be sent to care of F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Directors, Malvern, WR141TL. Michael Hatfield, known as Mike, passed away peacefully on the 27th of July. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday 24th of August at 10am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, may be given to Springfield House Care Home. All inquiries, please contact Co-op Funeral Care. 105 Barnards Green Road, Malvern, WR143LT. Barbara Lewis passed away on the 19th of July. Her funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 16th of August at 11.30. Family flowers only, please, with donations for Cancer Research UK. Dennis Peter Weaver, known as Pete, passed away on the 24th of July 2021. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday the 13th of August at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the Alzheimer's Society, and these may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Sons, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Jenkins McPhee, Amy Francis of Worcester, passed away peacefully at Regent House Care Home on August 3rd. Funeral service to take place at St John's Church on Wednesday, August the 18th at 10am, followed by her interment at St John's Cemetery at 11am. Family flowers only, but donations if desired for Cancer Research and Alzheimer's Society can be sent to Worcester Funeral Service, Kilbury Drive, Worcester, WR5 2NE. 01905 23499. Sherwood, Geoffrey Charles. Passed away peacefully on July the 28th, 2021, at St Richard's Hospice. Funeral service at Wood Green Evangelical Church, Hastings Drive, Worcester, on Wednesday the 18th of August at 12 noon, followed by a committal service at Worcester Crematorium at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Prostate Cancer UK may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 68 to 70, Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Goff, nay Wellings, Sylvia Ann. Sadly, passed away peacefully after a short illness at home. On Monday, 2nd of August, 2021. Service to take place at 3.15 on Friday, the 27th of August, 2021, at Worcester Crematorium. All attending are asked to wear a splash of colour to reflect Sylvia's bright personality. Family flowers only but donations if desired to St Richard's Hospice 
or the Amici Dog Rescue Charity number 1169157. Thomas Beryl of Claims, Worcester, passed away peacefully at home 1st of August 2021. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 17th of August at 1pm. No flowers please, but donations if desired for guide dogs may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68 to 70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. No black, please, at Beryl's request. Ward Keith passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on July the 24th, age 77. The funeral service will take place at Kemsey Church, 1.15pm on the 24th of August 2021, followed by private cremation. Please wear a splash of colour. Donations to Air Ambulance. Darling Graham of Mortlake Avenue, Worcester, passed away peacefully in hospital on the 28th of July, aged 86. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 17th of August, 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please but donations, if desired, for the Worcestershire Wildlife Fund may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Harkins Robert, known as Bob, passed away peacefully on Monday 12th of July, aged 80 years and five days. Donations, if desired in Robert's name, can be made to St Richard's Hospice and or the Salvation Army. Pingriff, Mary Elizabeth, passed away peacefully on the 30th of July, aged 77. Funeral service will take place at Redditch Crematorium on Monday the 23rd of August at 3.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Danemere Animal Rescue to be sent to Hemming and Peace, 67 High Street, Ulster, B49 5AF, telephone 01789 766 750.